are, you know, concerned about change and are willing to, to put forth some effort in that. And, and that was amazing and, and, and good to see uh, amongst the community heart and soul because like I said, we are a small town. Mm -hmm. And uh, committee, it started out <laughs> with a lot of folks, but by and by they dropped along the wayside. And, and that was an indication, somewhat of an indication I say for me as to how sincere they were as far as helping bring about a change, whatever. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we are live now. We are streaming live mm -hmm. and uh, um, in the 3 p.m. Eastern session of the uh, the world's oldest sun conference and um, wanted to do something a little bit. Oh, actually, we can probably let me go check and see, give maybe a minute for people to uh, to pile on into the room. Um, but. Uh, all right, we'll give that a minute. Um, Lindsay, you're you're uh, moved, made your way up to Vermont. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Vermont now, in uh, Ferrisburg, Vermont, in the Champlain Valley. Excellent, excellent. You uh, getting any sun today up there? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's hitting seventy degrees. It's absolutely gorgeous outside. Excellent. Um, good, good. And uh, Dennis, you said you were getting some some decent weather down in South Carolina today. Our weather's fairly well as I look out my window here. The wind is kind of picking up a little bit and look like it may be bringing some clouds in. But the weather is nice. It feels good outside. It's probably in the maybe high 60s, low 70s, maybe. It's about the same here, Pittsburgh. It's it's mm -hmm. We've had a nice uh, string of warm spring days this week. It's been excellent. It's so good to get outside after a long winter cooped up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. And it's mm -hmm. springtime. I'm I'm looking forward to being outside more. <laughs> this will be one of the most welcome springs, probably in memory. <laughs> so, all right, um, all right. We got some people coming in, so that is good. Um, so. Basically, what I wanted to do here was to, to kind of try something different. We've had mostly, you know, just uh, your typical session um, this week, but we we kicked things off with uh, feel like talking about you know, storytelling and the power of storytelling. And, and I thought it'd be nice instead of, of another typical session to actually tell some stories, to hear some community stories, uh, which are, are one of the reasons why I think we we all do this work and why we love this work because in, at the end of the day. You know, it's a power of story. It's those emotional connections that that um, get us excited, that make us passionate, that make us want to do something for our communities. And um, and I thought, yeah, we we would try to find a couple of great stories. So um, this also connects back to I've been doing some work with um, Community Heart Soul Organization um, out of Vermont. And uh, um, you know, this this organization basically believes in the power of storytelling and works to help communities revitalize and, and kind of find their way, um, find a path back to maybe some of the health that a lot of uh, smaller towns once experienced. And they do that through um, storytelling by by trying to understand what matters most to communities, by by getting at the heart of, of what drives them forward and, and helping to use those stories to, to rebuild that sense of self-esteem and sense of pride. I thought this was a, a great place to try to bring those two ideas together about, you know, the power of story, um, the work that, that Heart and Soul is doing here with this 
uh, conference that we've been doing. So yeah, in essence, it's, it's uh, not here to try to teach you anything except to share a couple great stories uh, about um, you know the small towns and the power of storytelling and how that can change people's lives and affect the community. So with me to do this, uh, I'm pretty excited to welcome uh, a couple colleagues. First is is Dennis Miller. Uh, Dennis is having a bit of a, uh, I think is not having much luck pulling up his camera this morning and for, or this afternoon, unfortunately. But as Dennis mentioned, uh, you can't see a story, you can only hear it. So uh, we are gonna be fortunate to hear uh, um, Dennis tell his story. Uh, Dennis is um, the uh, chair of the stewardship community uh, committee for the Kershaw's Community Heart and Soul program. Uh, he is a Kershaw native born and bred. Uh, after graduating high school, and working a little bit, he joined the United States Air Force where he served for 24 years and retired in 2000 and returned to little old Kershaw. Um, he said, he can say like the country comedian Jerry Clower, man, I love them small towns. He serves as the president of the Kershaw branch of the NAACP, chair of the Mount Calvary Outreach Ministry and as associate minister in the local church. Kershaw's history is not as significant as a lot of other small towns, but it is a place that Dennis has loved um, and, and um, and loved by everybody that calls it home. Dennis believes that most people want to see it preserved and made better because it is their town. And one of the reasons he got involved with Kershaw Community Heart and Soul is to help make a difference. And the story gathering portion uh, allowed him to have the opportunity to hear what people really had to say and understand what really mattered to them and how they wanted to make a difference. So, um, so we're gonna um, first hear um, from Dennis for about 20, 25 minutes. And then I'm gonna welcome on our, our second speaker, uh, uh, Lindsay, sorry, second storyteller, uh, Dr. Lindsay Hoop-Varner uh, to tell her um, fascinating story uh, of the, a church that they discovered um, in, in central Pennsylvania. So with that, um, I'm gonna turn it over to, to Dennis to tell us a story. Welcome Dennis and thanks for joining. Welcome, uh, thank you for the welcome and uh, greeting to all who may be listening in. Sorry, my video is not uh, up, but as I told Jeff earlier, you know, my face is not very pleasant to look at anyway. <laughs> but anyway, I'm delighted to be a part of the conference today. And as far as my story with Kershaw, um, it's not anything significant, but I have seen a transformation in the town as far as relationships with people. And the recent years, kind of the revitalization for the economics uh, in the area. Uh, when I first retired from the Air Force and I moved back here, they had just been, uh, prior to that, closing for the textile mill in Kershaw. And so people were leaving. And so that left a kind of a void in the, in the business areas of the town. And people were moving, stuff like that. But uh, a few years ago, got involved with heart and soul. And by doing that, I was able to, to sit and talk with people who had not had an opportunity to be up close with before and hearing their stories uh, and, and knowing that they are concerned about the town as well. And so, with the efforts of the heart and soul. And like I said, I don't want to make this about me because I'm just, <laughs> I try to be humble and I try to just uh, help where I can, when I can with what I got. So joining the heart and soul uh, with the story gathering, it really impacted me to 
and, and like I said, it better my relationship with, with people in the community who have not really had an opportunity to, uh, to be in conversation with. And uh, to see so many people uh, who really share those same ideals and uh, it all, I guess, manifested itself really from uh, the efforts of the heart and soul. We got together and put on a uh, community Easter egg last year, almost a year ago now. <laughs> and prior to that, there was hardly any uh, communication as to what was going on in the town amongst the town people. And so with our efforts, people got the word and it brought people together and people were greeting each other on, on, on the sidewalks and the streets as we were passing by, moving about, during all the activities for the Art and Souls uh, Easter Egg uh, Hunt. And to see the, all the children the, together, uh, <laughs> scrambling about, uh, gathering up the eggs in their baskets and stuff like that. And of course we you know, had vendors there and stuff. It was, it was a community event and all the people were just uh, coming in, you know, so excited to see that there's something going on in Kershaw that they could involve uh, their whole family, you know, children as well as the adults as well. And that that really uh, made an impact on me because growing up, and this, this is where I guess I don't like to really tell my story. Uh, years ago when I was a child, going to school out in the rural area close to Kershaw, we used to uh, have lunch break and there was a store across the street and uh, we used to go there for lunch if we had money. And I had a little money that day. We went across the street to the store and I went back to the ice box. We call it ice box, <laughs> the ice cream cooler, I guess. And uh, everybody was in line. They were getting their ice cream, popsicles, whatever, fudgesicles. And I reached in uh, to get one and I got a pop on the hand. The, uh, the store owner, slapped me across my hand and told me, don't stick my hand in it. Of course, me being African-American, you know, felt so belittled or whatever like that. But being a child, you just, you know, had to take it and move on. But that was in the uh, mid 70s. I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, early, early 70s, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, to see all that has passed now in, in these latter days here, when everybody's coming together, uh, you know, mingling uh, on the streets and stuff like that. It, it's, I'm not saying it's a perfect town, but it's gotten better. And through the efforts of Art and Soul, it's, it's gotten better. And that one day there, almost a year ago, was uh, an incident or an event that helped uh, kind of uh, reassured me that when people recognize that we are people that we can come together in the community and we can help each other and we can assist each other uh, no matter who we are and uh, I'm just uh, I'm glad to be a part of it and I know that there are others who may not share my same sentiments and story but they are concerned and I want to be uh, continue to be a part of that too to make my community better 
and um, I'm, you know, I apologize for not having a more significant story, but uh, the, the great stories is, is in the details and those little details that I experienced in my life uh, that stay with me and, and I can compare my life and the events that happened today, you know, we can, and I can say it, it has gotten better. But, you know, we got some ways to go, but it has gotten better. And I'm sorry that uh, my story is not exciting, but I'm-, I'm <laughs> Oh, no, no, not at all. I, I'm kind of interested though to, to go a little further, if you don't mind. I mean, uh, as somebody that, that, you know, felt it, um, that you, what drew you back to your town? I mean, you, you said in, in the introduction that, um, you know, that you'd kind of always planned after your uh, military service to go back to your town. What was it that, that drew you back to, uh, to Kershaw? As I said, I love small towns. I like uh, <laughs> a little freedom. I feel like uh, small towns offer uh, a more uh, closeness because there are not as many people as in a large metro area. And uh, so you get to know people better. And I was always planning to come back because I wanted to, uh, like I said, get, uh, allow my children an opportunity to, to get to know their roots, where my family was and, and neighbors and friends, people that I grew up with and went to school with, you know, and that was my reason for coming back. Plus, you know, I <laughs> was able to purchase a little bit of property and, and come on back and settle down. And I said, by being in the military, I was always, you know, uh, sharing things, starting from basic training, sleeping on a bunk next to guys and, 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 and being a single man, sharing or having a roommate, and then living in family housing next door and townhomes. And so <laughs> I wanted to, to, to have my own home to be able to spread out and have a big yard, garden, whatever. You know? So small towns, they have a, a, a uniqueness about them because as I said before, it allows people to get to know people for, I guess, a long-term, long-term relationships because you see those people you, you work with those people, most of some of them, and you go to church with those people, and you see them in the stores and stuff like that. And, and so relationships are built upon, uh, you know, uh, re-interactions uh, with, with each other. Hmm? I, I think that's, I love your point about roots. And I think that that is such an important part that often is, is you know, overlooked in, in a small town that, you know, it seemed like something that might not be so important compared to you know, what some might deem a success. And, and I love that how much that you said that, that um, the importance of those roots that you put down and knowing one another. And, and can you kind of speak to what, what that community has meant to you and your family of being around people that you know and trust? Well, like I say, uh, being in a small town and having that small town feel, you get to know people. So if you, uh, and I'd like to, continue to feel like that if uh, if I'm ever in uh, a place where I would need their help that I could count on them and I would also like for them to know that they can count on me because uh, we're not strangers but we're we're neighbors and, and everybody in the community we ought to to recognize that we are neighbors and that we we can be there one for the other we you know, we don't have to just you know go along thinking that, that hey, it's just me against the world. No, uh, you know, the relationship that you have 
and it's not necessarily just relationships with family members, but uh, people in the community. You know? So small towns, of, I believe, afford that. And I'm not saying that large metro areas don't allow people in neighborhoods to come together. Sure, you know, I've been in some areas like that, but the small town, like I said, I like the, I like the peacefulness, uh, the quietness and that small town atmosphere allows and uh, hopefully hopefully we can continue to to preserve that but at the same time make progress as far as some of the other things that uh larger areas uh enjoy you know employment entertainment and, and those kind of things you know and still uh holding on uh remembering uh your past and your roots like that you know, my, my, my children now have all, they've, I too, they, they're grown now and they've all got left the nest and they've finished college, got their own families now. And I thought they would have moved way to a large, <laughs> larger place, but they both are right here in South Carolina. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> what do you think, uh, um, do they just, you know, is it family? Is that same, those same sort of roots that brought them back? That's wonderful to hear. Cause I think that's a struggle that so many of us have is, you know, how do you keep, if there's not opportunity in your town, how do you kind of keep the kids from from moving away? And then all of a sudden there aren't there all of a sudden there aren't any roots. All of a sudden, people don't know one another from generation to generation. And what once was so special about a small town gets lost. Well, I've heard my son. He's he's a grown man now, thirty six years old, thirty seven. Uh, yeah, thirty eight now. I'm sorry. Uh, he he can uh, engage in conversations with me. He said, "Dad, I, I appreciate. You. I, I, I'm I'm glad you brought us back here." to get to know our family. Uh, and he's, he's successful. He uh, graduated Clemson University. He's an engineer, a packaging engineer, works for a company up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he lives not far from me, but uh, the, the next town up, which is a little larger than Kershaw, but uh, he, he enjoys the, the, the quietness too when he, and he comes back to visit mom and dad. But uh, he, he, he's, he appreciates the time that uh, he has spent here growing up, uh, partially anyway. So, daughter, um, she she enjoys it too, but <laughs> she's in Columbia, a little larger than Metro. Yeah, she appreciates the fact too that she's gotten to know uh, her relatives, as Jerry Clowers would say, her kinfolk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, we appreciate that. Um. You know, I, I, you make a comment about big city, and, and I agree. And and but, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like sometimes if a if a big city neighborhood is done just right, it, it can really feel like a small town, and that's what we all want. No matter where we live, you still want to have those. You know, we, we get some in Pittsburgh where they, you get these neighborhoods, whether they're Polish or Irish or Italian or African American, where they're where they're you know, it's the same people for generations, the same families, and, and they're like little small towns unto themselves. There's um, there's wild neighborhoods where you step across the street and you step into a different world. And I think they still get to enjoy some of that, which, you know, that's that's what we all want is to feel those those connections. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder, you know, one kind of um, something else I want to put out to you, you can talk about how, how special um, Kershaw is. Do you recall a time when you know, the community helped you maybe when you, um, I, I, 
like something came up and, and you needed the community or the community saved you or maybe somebody you know, but the community was there um, in a pinch for somebody and, and kind of that best example of, of why community matters. Well, for myself personally, I've not uh, been in a situation where I've been, you know, in dire straits or anything like that. But just sometimes it's just, like I said, the details. Uh, I can be riding on the roadway into town and almost everyone you meet sometimes, you know, they throw up their hands as country folks and they don't even know you, but they're greeting you. I mean, and uh, so that's, that's, that's good there. Uh, my wife and my daughter, <laughs> they took a trip out to uh, San Diego when my son was on uh, uh, like an intern out there for a company. And uh, she, they were just amazed at how the people, uh, they were greeting folks and they weren't getting greetings back. <laughs> so they, my daughter especially, she uh, readily noticed that, that, you know, at some time, I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes that's not uh, known or well received in a large area. But uh, that is one thing, like I said, people, you feel like you know people and, and if someone stops beside the road or whatever, you're gonna stop, hey, is everything okay? You know, because you know them, you've seen them. If you may not know their names or maybe know their story, but you're just concerned and, and you know, checking on them. And, and uh, but as far as uh, me personally, I've not been in a, in a position to where uh, the bulk of the community or neighbors had to come to my aid, but I've seen it amongst other people in the community where uh, one uh, spouse, husband or wife, whatever, uh, became ill and things needed to be done uh, in the yard and around the house. So you get together and go to that home and, and uh, do something to help leave the, uh, to relieve the, the anxiety of wondering, well, Who's going to take my trash? Who's going to cut my grass? Uh, things like that. And, and I've seen people people do that, you know. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, Dennis, first off, I, I can't thank you enough for, for um, joining us today to tell your story, Kershaw. Second, I, I would... I would like to hear you tell any stories because I find your your voice to be incredibly comforting. Um, so yeah, I could just, if you started just telling stories on, online in the evenings, I might just tune in for uh, um, the, the soothing sounds of, of Dennis Miller. So um, I, I can't uh, tell you how much we appreciate your um, taking a bit of time after, out of your Thursday afternoon to join us to tell the, your story of your community. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. I'm sorry, my like I said, my story is not as exciting or whatever, but but that's just uh, being in a small town. There's nothing major, but like I said, a lot of times it's it's the details, the little things, the little yeah. things. It's the little things that are significant, and and you know, and isn't that the pleasure of, of a small town? Is maybe not you know not the the everyday excitement, but a nice slow paced life. To me, it is, and I'm pretty sure it's as it it was the same sentiments that a lot of the, uh, of the town folk in the community holds as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, all right, all right, excellent. Well, I uh, appreciate that, Dennis Miller joining us. We're gonna go to our second story and I wanna uh, welcome on uh, Dr. Lindsay Varner. Uh, Lindsay is a historian specializing in community culture and social history in the early modern period. 
She completed her undergraduate degree in history and government and political affairs at Military University in Pennsylvania and her master's and PhD at Durham University in the United Kingdom. She's worked extensively in the public history and heritage field as community educator and administrator. From 2016 to 2018, she was the project director for the Greater Carlisle Heart and Soul Initiative and afterward used her knowledge from this project to develop the Community Outreach Department of Cumberland County Historical Society in Pennsylvania. Lindsay started her current role as the director of the Rokeby Museum in Ferrisburg, Vermont in September of 2020. Uh, Lindsay and I got to know each other, um, kind of met each other on a flight up to Burlington um, a little over a year ago. Uh, we were working together and, and doing some, um, taking some training through Community Heart and Soul, and she has this incredibly fascinating story of the um, Mount Tabor Church in, in Greater Carlisle area. And uh, Lindsay, I think you have some slides, so I'm going to um, uh, hand over some co-hosting duties right. and then uh, I'll let you run off from there. So thanks for joining us, and, and the floor is yours. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you, Dennis, for your incredible story. It was just so lovely to hear and such a great way to spend a Thursday afternoon. Um, so I worked in the greater Carlisle area in central Pennsylvania uh, for a couple of years on the pilot program of Heart and Soul in Pennsylvania. And very early on in 2016, we were beginning our storytelling process. Um, hey, hey, Dennis. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Hello, Lindsay. And we were beginning to um, collect stories from our community. And we started with really simple questions or what you would think would be a really simple question, asking people, what do you love about your community? What would you hate to lose in your community? And as we were asking people, we asked them to um, also you know, share with us individuals that they think we should reach out to. Who should we be talking to? Who would have really good insights on to, into the, the sense of place of our community? And we heard over and over again that we needed to talk to the Gumby family in one of the surrounding towns called Mount Holly Springs. And Mount Holly Springs is a small borough in Pennsylvania. It's about 2,000 people. And the Gumby family had been there for generations since um, the post-Civil War period, really. And they had been on the same piece of land since the 1870s. And they, uh, over and over again, we heard that we really needed to talk to them, that they would have insights uh, into the community and uh, stories that we would want to capture. And it took us a couple of meetings for the family to really build trust with us. And after about our third meeting, we sat down and did an hour and 15 long, a minute long interview and talked a little bit about what we would, uh, what they would like to see for the future of the community, but then also what they would like to see, uh, uh, what, what their history was in the community as well. And so we began really talking with them about um, their family's history and what brought them to Mountain Holly Springs and why they would, uh, what they would like to see for the future of Mountain Holly. And what Harry and Edna said, and they're pictured here in the center um, with the borough council uh, member, Pam, still in the middle, she conducted the interview. They had said that they wanted the legacy of their grandfather, Elias Parker, to uh, be preserved and for the history of the African-American community in Mount Holly Springs uh, to be recorded and shared with the community. And what really struck me with their story was that they were 
essentially their property sat um, right on the edge of the Mount Tabor Church, which is the picture that you see on the, uh, the far side. Um, and this church was completely overgrown. Um, it had been the um, AME Zion congregation that had um, worshiped in there from circa 1870 to uh, the circa, sometime in the 1970s is when the doors were actually shut. Um, and there was a whole history surrounding a community that was completely unrecorded in any archive and any town history. It survived really within the community's memory. And what we realized with Heart and Soul is we could use this uh, program to really start capturing these stories. And over and over again, we kept hearing how important the history of the region was, um, whether it be, you know, a big story, a big kind of, uh, you know, national ties to the region and the history of the United States, or individual family stories and histories that tied the communities and the people together. And Mount Tabor became this incredible project that really brought together residents within Mount Holly Springs to not only think about their history, but to think a little bit about the um, uh, how they're all interconnected and how uh, a lot of stories within the town were uh, not being told fully, um, often because of um, past prejudices and racism within the community. So it forced the community to also start to really think through some uh, meaningful and at times difficult conversations. Um, and Heart and Soul really helped to guide those conversations over the past few years. Um, What's incredible about this church is how well preserved it is. Um, the picture uh, that I'm showing here that you can see on the left of your screen is actually the, the view right after I had talked to the Gumbies and they gave this interview and they told me about the church and their grandfather's history. Um, we walked out back and this was the view of the church. And one of the reasons it was so well preserved was it was hidden from sight. Um, when I walked around to the front and you could look inside and it really was a time capsule. It was like the congregation had a service and then just walked away. And we managed to get inside the building and I was with Harriet Gumby and she started to tell me what her family's ties were to the site. And her grandfather, Elias Parker, um, had been enslaved. He enlisted in the Union Army as a United States color troop. He came to Mount Holly Springs, settled on the land where their house currently stands. And the family story was that he helped to build the church. Um, he wasn't a Methodist, he was a Baptist. He uh, preached at a nearby town, um, uh, Carlisle, at a Baptist church there. But his wife would, was Methodist. And the, the story is the family would spend half of their Sunday at the AME Zion church, this church, and the other half of their Sunday, they would go into Carlisle and they would go to the Baptist church. Um, so the, this site was incredibly important for the family because it they had these deep roots um, within the community. Uh, the church was also used for a while as a school. It was a community gathering space. They held debates and lectures. Um, there was a literary society. It was just this incredible space that told an entire uh, story that had really been unrecorded. And then attached to it, 
is the segregated cemetery in Mount Holly Springs, which was also not really recognized as a historic site within the uh, Mount Holly Springs borough. Um, buried with on the site, um, you can see there's only a handful of headstones. There's a small family plot um, that, as I'll talk about in a moment, thanks to community efforts, we now have an idea of probably around 60 burials on the property, uh, including seven veterans of the Civil War. And when we started to really talk about this story, um, we weren't quite sure what to expect. I think our first initial reaction was to not talk about it too much for fear that we would uh, have people start coming by the church and stealing things out of it. And the family was very concerned about that. Um, so, but we were pleasantly surprised at just how quickly neighbors came out for this site. And this is one of the things that I love about the storytelling portion of Heart and Soul is you just, you, you suddenly realize that one story can spark um, a multitude of stories. And when I first started going out to the church on my own, I would stop by weekly and say hi to the Gumbies and um, go and have a wander through the church and um, work on getting some photos and uh, cataloging everything that was inside. The neighbor uh, would constantly call Harriet and let her know that somebody was at the church walking around and she'd come over and make sure that, you know, I wasn't up to anything um, that you know, could possibly hurt the church in some way. It was this site that didn't, a colleague of mine always says, it doesn't look loved, but it is incredibly loved by the community. And it just was a place that people didn't know what to do or what the next steps were. So with Heart and Soul, we were able to help coordinate those next steps. So we had archeology span students come out and do archeology span on the site. Um, we did dendrochronology, um, basically trying to figure out the age of the wood on the church. Uh, I would show up and neighbors would just be on ladders putting tarps to cover holes and trying to figure out ways to keep it standing while we worked out issues of ownership and funding. Um, at one point we were even uh, rehousing the, the picture of us in kind of full kind of hazmat paint suits. Um, is us relocating vultures that were living inside the church to a, a safer place that protected the preservation of the church. So community members were doing a little bit of everything uh, to try and preserve this uh, amazing piece of history. And then we partnered with Dickinson College in Carlisle to do ground penetrating radar around the cemetery. And one of the things in Harriet's story over the course of the hour when we spoke with her is she said she wanted the bound a fence to be put around the cemetery and for the hallowed ground that's there to be recognized as hallowed ground, even though you couldn't see all of the burial uh, sites. Um, so the most important thing for us was figuring out where people were buried, how many people were buried there, and then how to place the fence. And the one thing we didn't want to do was put a fence post right on top of a potential grave. So it, uh, Dickinson came out and did ground penetrating radar to help us to identify potential graves on the site. And we had an Eagle Scouts uh, project and a donation from a local businessman and volunteers came out and put this amazing fence around the cemetery so that we could help push uh, Harriet's dream forward um, 
And through these projects, we found that there were a lot of both descendants as well as former congregants who were still living in the community. So as we're doing all of this work, we start to find more and more residents coming forward to share their story, as well as help on the site um, and find ways to continue to honor and share the history. And probably one of my favorite stories um, that came out of Heart and Soul um, both I mean, Harriet's story and telling this uh, incredible history of Mount Tabor and sharing it with the community um, and forcing us to have some of these difficult conversations around the site. Um, you have the Ward family who I always say that Mount Tabor has these moments of just serendipity where everything just kind of falls together in these perfect moments. And the Ward family was that first moment where they called me two weeks before our first public tour around the site. And they were doing genealogy work. They had come down from Northern Pennsylvania to visit the Mount Tabor Cemetery, but they couldn't find it. Um, they drove around Mount Holly Springs for something like 40 minutes, which is almost impossible to do. It's not a very big town, but they just went in circles and they could not find the cemetery. Uh, so they called the County Historical Society where I was working and were asking about the, the headstone for their great-great-grandfather, Henry S. Ward. And they were put over to me um, and because I did a lot of cemetery work in the county and I, I told them, I think I know exactly where your ancestor is buried. And Danny uh, tells this beautiful story, Danny Ward-Smith, um, where when she was doing her genealogy for her family, Henry Ward is as far back as she can go in her family. Um, she has no photos, she can't go past him in their genealogy. Um, we're pretty sure Henry was enslaved and then changed his name when he moved to Mount Holly Springs. Um, so the headstone and the church for her um, are what she calls this tangible piece of history that she never thought she could find. And you suddenly realize that the power of this site, um, not just in terms of its history to the county and to the town, but those personal stories and how important it is for sites like these to be, to be saved um, and for their histories to be told. Because uh, for for the Ward family, um, this is where in their family history, where they really can start looking at where they came from um, and how they got to where they are in Northern Pennsylvania. And the site just continues to evolve. Um, I mean, from this, this hour long story that we collected in 2016, um, the trees have been cleared, the poison ivy is now gone. Um, we went from tarps on the roof to um, corrugated metal to help cover some of the holes um, and support posts all around the church. And it, it really has become this place that people flock to and want to help with um, because it tells just such a significant story on so many levels. And what Mount Tabor really did was open an entire conversation that we never, we never expected to happen. And that's one of the beautiful things about Heart and Soul is when you start the process, you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know what the end point of the program is going to be. And it led us to this question um, in the organization I was working is, whose history do we tell in our county and in our towns? And why has only certain viewpoints been told? And Mount Tabor opened these floodgates of very difficult conversations that we had to have both institutionally, but then also within our community as a whole. I mean, that Mount Tabor church was sitting there in the woods 
completely intact, this incredible integrity um, uh, structurally. And within the County Historical Society, we had no record of it. And we had to look at that and say, shame on us for not knowing there was an African-American community in this town and that we didn't know that this church existed. Um, that's on us. And we needed to evaluate that uh, more deeply and start to look at how we can incorporate more uh, historical narratives into the wider narrative of the county. And this opened up a whole series of conversations in towns surrounding Mount Tabor. Um, one place is Lincoln Cemetery, and this is a ongoing, relatively new project um, that really started to take off in 2019. And even during the pandemic, we were doing uh, work on this site. And this was a segregated African-American cemetery established sometime in 1805. Um, it has around 600 burials in it, um, and in 1970, the uh, borough of Carlisle turned it into a park. Um, they did not remove any of the bodies. It is still hallowed ground, but it is a passive uh, area within the park. And we wanted to memorialize this site um, and those who are buried there. And thanks to grants from Pennsylvania Humanities Council and the Council of the Arts, uh, we were able to do, even during COVID, this incredible public art project that at least begins the process of honoring those who are buried there. And we can really kind of draw this line between Mount Tabor um, and the conversations that led to this willingness and this openness to discuss what happened at Lincoln Cemetery. Um, and we also find there's there's deep ties to that. Um, the picture in the bottom corner, you can see people tying these ribbons onto the fence post. Each ribbon represented a person buried at the cemetery. Um, and those two individuals, uh, Carmen James and Larry Foster that you see in the photo, are both uh, former congregants at Mount Tabor Church in Mount Holly, but also have uh, uh, ancestors buried in the Lincoln Cemetery. So they are descendants of both sites. Um, so there's just so much interconnected history that just hasn't been explored yet. So it really all started with this story and we've come so far since 2016. Um, recently, within the past couple of months, Mount Tabor was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, it's deemed a, a significant site for um, to, to tell this, this national, this state, and this local story. Um, and it all started with Heart and Soul. Um, there's now a nonprofit that's dedicated to preserving this site. Um, and we had so many issues understanding who actually owned the site that it took a couple of years, but in the end, the borough of Mount Holly Springs stepped up and worked out an, uh, an arrangement with the um, National AME Zion Church and the borough of Mount Holly now owns this site and sees it as an important asset to telling the history of Mount Holly Springs. Um, and they have been an incredible partner um, just helping to push forward uh, this project. And again, it all started with a single story and it just evolved into you know, where we're at today, which is hopefully by the end of this year, we will have a, a preserved building that doesn't need to be held up by supports on one side. Um, so it's, it, it's an incredible story and one that's, that continues to evolve long after the Heart and Soul Project has started to wrap up in the community. Wow. Uh, yeah, that is 
uh, a fascinating story. And I'm so glad that you came on um, to, to join us because, um, yeah, after hearing that, I, I was one I, I really wanted to have relayed. Um, so I appreciate you doing that. Um, do you think that it has changed the community in some fashion to, to kind of, I guess, it, has it changed the community? And if so, how? I, I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated to learn. Like, I think communities can change. Uh, and have the ability just like people and when something substantial happens um, they do and so I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear if you think um, what's happened yeah I think the community has come to this realization that you know, they've they prided themselves on the the history of the town I mean, it started out as you know a, a colonial town at a crossroads that had mining history and there was a lot of history that was told around the the big stone buildings and they have this beautiful um, National Register library downtown, beautiful brownstone building. And they were, there was this realization within the community when we started talking about Mount Tabor that they only told one story in the town. And this recognition that there was a, that there was even an African-American community didn't exist in the narrative of Mount Holly Springs. And I think the, the town starting to look at the site as an important historic site in the borough and one that needed to be saved um, really did change over time. I remember in 2016 going to borough council and telling them about the about heart and soul and about the church and how it, it would be great if we could find a way to preserve it. And it was like crickets. I didn't, nobody said anything from the council. They were like, okay, great, have fun. Good, good luck with that. Uh, and then you fast forward two years, um, I never would have guessed from my first borough council meeting to the council meeting where they voted to take ownership of the church that that would ever happen. Um, and I'm not much of a crier, but I'm, I remember sitting in the, the council room when they voted to take ownership and just crying because it was such a change for the community. Um, and the support I think on the site has just been incredible. People come out to do anything, pull weeds, just check up and see how it's doing. It, it's amazing to see how much they love and value the site in the community. Um, Dennis, I saw we had you on video there for a while. Um, I, I wanted to ask kind of the, wanted to ask the same to you, you know, as your communities um, got into, as Kershaw started sort of digging up stories, did you see that start to change? Um, how people felt about themselves and how they felt about their town as they started to understand maybe who they were uh, a little bit better? I, I believe so. Uh, from talking with different people as I meet them here and there uh, at the local grocery store or, or something like that, you know, I, I, I believe uh, within these last several years and particularly doing the heart and soul efforts people have become more aware of their neighbors and, and want to do something and be a part of, of, of change, you know, for the betterment of the entire community. Our, our first speaker on, on day one, I uh, feel like it talked about the power of story and that, you know, that, that communities have lost so much that they used to be proud of and that stories give you that back. You know, you might not have the, the plant or the factory or you might not be home to this thing or that thing but you you also have 
you know, you have 500 or 5,000 or 50,000 residents that all have a compelling story, that all have done something fascinating, that have had a, a, an interesting life and something crazy happened to them. And those are worth being proud of, you know, it's, it's, it's you don't have to own something or have done something to be proud of your community. You share, you know, that, that's how a community works. A, a business that you might not own might be something that you still want to share with people. Um, you know, if your friend does really well or a family member, it's still something that, that you feel good about. And, and I kind of love that idea that, you know, it, there's, there's infinite amount of stories in any community because people are, are fascinating. And for every person that you can meet, they have some, some great story to tell that, that um, helps people kind of helps establish an identity again, which, which we, I think we've lost in so many towns. Um, have, have, you know, I'd, I'd be interested from either of you, if, if you start to see, like, have people grabbed onto that identity and start to feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, Kershaw or Carlisle, like this is my town, this is, or Mount Holly Springs, or, you know, start to feel a greater sort of, um, affinity back to their community and start to feel more proud because most of these towns have just had bad news, you know, for decades and, and to, to have something to get excited about has to be a nice change. Yeah, I think one of the the most amazing things I heard talking with people is um, the Mount Tabor project was kind of underway and, and conversations on preservation were taking place. Somebody came up and, and called this such an opportunity for the town. Um, and, and it was an opportunity for many reasons, she said. You know, it was for you know preserving a historic site when they have lost so many historic sites in the town, for talking about um, difficult conversations around racism in the town that they hadn't had before, and they had just kind of skirted around or ignored and pretend that it, it didn't exist. Um, but it was an opportunity to confront the history and to start moving forward with your neighbors. Um, and I thought that was such a beautiful way of kind of putting you know, what one story can do is it can provide so many different types of opportunities. Um, and you could see this pride within the community every time there's an, an event at the church or something's taking place, they're there. And I can say for myself, I mean, I grew up, Mount Holly Springs was my downtown. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. So we, we didn't have a downtown, but when we had to go to the library or the bank or the grocery store, we went to Mount Holly Springs. And I had never really thought about the influence that the town had on me growing up until I started doing heart and soul and hearing stories. And I, I started to realize just how tied I was to that place and how much I loved it and that it was a part of who I was. And you could start to see other people coming to that realization as well, really taking pride in the place they were living that I don't think they had, like, like me, they hadn't thought about it before. Um, now, Dennis, I'd be interested to know kind of, you know, you were in your community or gone for, for, you know, 20 some years and came back. Did you, you know, did you in that time, did you think it had changed for the better or for the worse, or is it changing now? Like how, how has Kershaw, yeah, how has Kershaw changed it over your lifetime and, and is it going in the right direction? It has certainly changed from when I was a youth growing up, of course, uh, in these last several years since I've been retired and back, it has changed as well. And, and maybe I, I, I sometimes think that it's partially uh, attributed to 
other people moving from other areas into the area, which they bring something new to the table, you know, as far as uh, their past culture and history and stuff like that too. And it helps, it has helped, I believe, to serve, uh, to change because as I said before, Kershaw was on a, uh, a kind of a down spiral because of economic issues and people coming in, they want something here because they, most of them like the small town feel. So they want things uh, that they can enjoy here in the small town area without losing the small town uh, feel and being secure in the neighborhoods when they walk their children uh, to the park or nature trails and things like that. So it's changed. It, I believe Kershaw is moving in the right direction and, and hopefully uh, as, as you know, the efforts of heart and soul uh, through our collaborative plan uh, and stewardship, it'll even get better. Uh, I believe it will. We're on the right track. We just need to uh, follow through with the, uh, the, the action plan. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Lindsay, you mind turning back over the uh, hosting? Oh, I just did. Your oh, host. perfect, perfect. Uh, all right, I want to share one more story before we wrap up. Um, pretty fascinating story um, from Starpool up in, in um, Williamsport, uh, Pennsylvania. And I, yeah, Star has a, a, a fascinating story, a depressing story, and, and but also want to come back. And, um, and so I'm going to share that real quick. member in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I'm a single mother of five, um, ages 10, eight, seven, and 26 year olds. I I moved here eight years ago and I didn't know many people. Pretty much at the oh, time shit. I was a, a domestic <laughs> I did that wrong. Pretty much struggling with no confidence, a lack of confidence. I had a lot of dreams and goals, but I couldn't. Hang on, I think I screwed it all up. I was trying to see if it was streaming and then it, I stopped doing it. Hang on, let me try again to exit full screen. Yeah, making sure it was up. All right, I'm going to restart that and hopefully be less dumb this time. Um, this is my second year. 
So I'm learning a lot. I'm so interested and excited to see where else I can help my community. Um, I'm a facilitator for alternatives to violence. Um, I work with so many organizations, and my main goal in all of them is to take what I learned from Community Heart and Soul and apply it in my everyday life and apply it in my community. And all you need to do is get out there and let people know that it's there. And that's what Community Heart and Soul really taught me and empowered me. I have so many goals, so many things going on to where I feel as though we can conquer the world. The world is ours. So many things we can do together as a community, all um, working for one common goal. Excellent, excellent. Good story. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, all right, all right. Well, um, we are uh, at time, uh, or, or just about. Um, but I really want to thank uh, you, Dennis, uh, for joining us to talk a bit about Kershaw, South Carolina, and your experience there. Uh, Lindsay, thanks so much for for coming by to discuss uh, your experience with the the Mount Tabor Church. Um, really, really fantastic. Um, and then wanted to uh, we were coming into our last session uh, of the world's oldest uh, unconference. Um, and I believe uh, Ben will be hosting, uh, Ben Mulcho is going to be hosting uh, Developing Developers, Growing, or it might be Joe, my mistake, I, I can't, um, but in any case, Developing Developers, Growing Equity and Inclusion in Communities by Training and Supporting Minority Developers. So uh, an incredibly important topic that's going to get going uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 Pacific, uh, coming up right after this on the, on the um, group page. So uh, thanks again so much for, for joining us, uh, Lindsay and Dennis, and, and I hope you both have a wonderful afternoon. Thank well, you so much. Thank you very much. Take care.